Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Today is, there's a couple special days going on. I think a lot of our friends are celebrating with, with family members and things today. We've got Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the guys out there. Happy Father's Day. Anybody watching online? And even if you're not a dad, we thank you so much because you're role models for the kids here at Echo, for the kids in your life, for the next generation. We all need role models in and outside of our families. And we thank you for all the men living with honor and dignity and care in our presence. We love our Echo guys. Today is also Juneteenth, June 19th, 1865. Don't know if you learned about that when you were in school or the significance of that date, but let's recall some history today. We're going to dig in and do a little timeline for us. I try to make a timeline, guys. Let's see how this worked out. So July 4th, Big celebration for American independence. And Frederick Douglass in 1852 was invited to speak in New York. He was speaking, I think it was in Rochester, uh, at an Independence Day celebration. And this is what he famously said. He kind of brought up the fact that, hey, this day is not so exciting for all Americans just yet. He says, I am not included within the pale of this glorious anniversary Your high independence only reveals the immeasurable distance between us. The blessings in which you this day rejoice are not enjoyed in common. The rich inheritance of justice, liberty, prosperity, and independence bequeathed by your fathers is shared by you, not by me. The sunlight that brought life and healing to you has brought stripes and death to me. This 4th of July is yours, not mine. You may rejoice. I must mourn. People were still in slavery, enduring trauma and pain. And he wanted to bring that to their attention. That was 1852. We got another step on our timeline. Another 11 years after his speech. We have the Emancipation Proclamation on January 1st, 1863. And that declared that all slaves in the Confederate States were to be set free. But as you can imagine, not every state was like, yay, let's do that right away. No, why don't you? They kept fighting the Civil War during this time saying, you have to make us do this. So people were still living in slavery, enduring pain and trauma. Between 1863, between this Emancipation Proclamation and for the next couple of years, they were working on the 13th Amendment. They were writing it, they were voting on it, and they were trying to get it ratified at all the states. And during this time, some people were still living in slavery and enduring pain and trauma. And finally, on June 19th, 1865, the Union Army made its way to the furthest western Confederate state, Texas, and they said, these people are free. You must release them. This is freedom. This is freedom. And finally, a year and a half 
after it had already been declared that people were free, finally, this last state heard the news that freedom was theirs at hand. June 19th, or Juneteenth, is a celebration. The message was finally delivered and enacted. Freedom was theirs. Now, while some states had adopted this as an annual holiday, it finally became a federal holiday last year. And Angela Tate, she's a curator at the National Museum of African American History and Culture in Washington, D.C., She says this, Juneteenth should be important for everyone. It's not just celebrating black freedom. It's celebrating how important black people have been to the formation of the United States. And if we aren't free, no one else is free. Juneteenth is a holiday of both that communal mourning over all that pain and trauma. And also, it's an invitation into hope and to renewal. To say, what does the future hold? How can the future be better than our past? We must all grapple with the fact that people made in God's image were subjugated by people made in God's image, by people who would show up to church on Sunday some. And so we have to deal with that, but we also have to take those lessons and step forward and to renew our communities, to renew our country, and to make things better. Mary Elliott, also a curator at the museum, says this. It's important to remember what we went through and what we were able to get out of bondage as a nation. It's important that we understand what it took. Juneteenth allows each generation to reflect what more there is to do. So that holiday today had been in my mind because we're, we're in Luke chapter 17 We've gone through it in three different sections. There was a lot in this chapter. And at the very end, Jesus is speaking some words that we're going to read today. Now, these words were often misconstrued. But the point was, he was indicating that a time would come for the community, his community, his people. He was foreshadowing a time that they were going to mourn. They were going to face tragedy, that it would be painful But he was also inviting them in to say, you can have renewal through me. I'm trying to bring you renewal. So that message, that message of mourning and renewal is what we're going to look at today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 17. I want to do a little something different. I'm going to read through the whole thing. And then I want us to go back through and break it down. And we're going to actually go backwards as we break it down. So let's read it forward now. That'll be helpful, right? I'm going to read from the New Testament for Everyone version. Luke 17, beginning beginning in verse 20. The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. God's kingdom, replied Jesus, isn't the sort of thing you can watch for and see coming. People won't say, look, here it is, or look over there. No, God's kingdom is within your grasp. Then Jesus said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will long to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you won't see it. They will say to you, look there or look here. Don't go off and follow them. The Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning that shines from one end of the sky to the other. And first he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. 
What will it be like in the days of the Son of Man? It will be like the days of Noah. People are eating and drinking. They were getting married and giving wedding parties until the day when Noah went into the ark. And that day, the flood came and swept them all away. It will be like the days of Lot. They were eating and drinking and buying and selling and planting and building. But on the day when Lot left Sodom, it rained fire and sulfur from the sky. They were all destroyed. That's what it will be like on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, anyone up on the roof with all their possessions in the house shouldn't go down to get them. Anyone out in the field shouldn't go back to get anything. Remember Lot's wife. If you try to save your life, you'll lose it. But anyone who loses it will keep it. Let me tell you, in that night, there will be two people sleeping side by side. One will be taken, the other left behind. There will be two women working side by side, grinding corn. One will be taken and the other left behind. Where will this be, master? The disciples asked him. Where the body is, replied Jesus, there the vultures will gather. Great, encouraging, exciting, very exciting words, right? Okay, so let's talk about this passage. Let's tell you about it. Let's talk about what it's not about first, okay? It's, it's not about... You heard of the word rapture. You heard of the rapture. So this passage, often interpreted into a theory, you saw there's two key words there. It said left behind. There's an entire book series left behind. I read the first three when they came out. I didn't realize how many exactly there were. There's a lot more than three. I didn't realize. They also made this into a movie series. You guys, I did not remember. <laughs> I remembered Kirk Cameron, but I did not remember that Nicolas Cage, guys, is part of that series. Anyone? Did anyone watch it? Anyone? Okay. Okay. That should have been a warning sign to us all. Nick Cage. Okay? So this was a misconstrued idea because they were like, okay, well, if one person's going to be swept up, taken away, and so the idea was that somehow this must mean that when Jesus turns, that he's going to sweep all the good people away and leave all the wicked people. And I don't know what they do when they battle it out. I don't know what they do when they're left behind. But it was this warning, right? It's this idea, like, like maybe the idea is good, like, you better be prepared at any moment. But it's just kind of scary. Like, as a kid, if you're, like, walking around your house and suddenly you can't find your mom and dad and you're like, <gasps> did I get left behind? I mean, that's the kind of fear. It's the kind of fear. Okay, what, so what are Jesus' words really about here? They weren't about at the end of the world as we know it, but it was about the end of life as the Jewish people knew it. Because he's foreshadowing the destruction of the temple. He is talking about that in so many years, a couple of decades from when he himself is living, so right now we said that the Romans were in charge of Jewish Jewish life. We keep talking about them, reading about them in the book of Luke and how they're interacting together. And we keep hearing these names and these Romans and these Jewish people, and they live side by side. The Romans are like, pay us some taxes, but they kind of leave the Jewish people alone for the most part. You can still worship and have your traditions. It's great. But there's going to come a time when there's, when there's days when the Romans want to push on their power more when they want to be more direct in having authority over the Roman Empire. And they don't treat the Jewish people very well. And in AD 66, there's a revolt by the Jewish people, and they say, get out of Jerusalem. They push them out, 
And they said, this is our place. This is our place to worship. This is our holy place for our people. We don't want the Romans there. But of course, Rome doesn't want to let that stand. And by AD 70, Rome has pushed back in with the military. And they punish the people. They kill the Jewish people. And they burn down the temple. This is a collective trauma. I'm very sorry about this microphone. It wants to fall off my face today. This is a collective trauma. You know, there's a whole group. This defines the Jewish people for like till now. I mean, the way of worshiping God never went back to how it was. They had already lost one temple that Solomon built. And we read about in the Old Testament. And the Babylonians destroyed it. And here King Herod had built this new beautiful temple And people went there daily and worshipped, made sacrifices. We just read all about this. And when that was gone, their identity was gone with it. That was going to be a pain they could not withstand. This is the kind of gloom and doom that Jesus was painting a picture for here. So let's break down some of his words. We're going to go backwards, as I said, because... I like the way the topics fall that way. So at the very end, verse 37, the disciples had asked Jesus, where is this going to happen? And he talks about vultures, bodies, right? Okay, so there could be a little clue here. The same word that they would use for vultures, they would also use for eagles. They thought those birds were interchangeable. So you kind of would say one and the other in the same breath. So if he's saying vultures, there was also the eagle emblem represented the Roman military, and it was on their badges. So some have surmised, was he trying to indicate Rome here with the bird reference? But even if not, he's describing what comes. What's going to come for people is death. The vultures and the bodies. The death is what he's trying to say. He's trying to say, let's talk now. Let's be prepared now. Let's build up who we are now, because death comes. So then the next section, the one that we get the rapture idea from, on that day, if you're up on the roof, don't go back home to get your possessions. If you're out in the field, don't run back. He's basically just, you know, war happens. We saw how quickly Russia decided to invade Ukraine, right? Like it happens really fast. There may not be time to go gather and pack and do all your things. You just panic and you run and you get away. And when he was talking about the people, you know, suddenly being snatched and another left behind, that's a visual of what happens in war, right? People fight side by side for their country, for their culture, for their dignity, and you're not guaranteed to survive. You speak with veterans of war. And the person that they were next to for maybe years was no longer with them. There was no knowledge of who would live and who would die in this fight. That is the visual that Jesus is painting. We don't know how long we have. So then in verse 26 through 30, Jesus gives two story references. Noah and Lot, this Jewish history that the people listening would know, they would understand, they would remember. They would remember how quickly all that happened and like entire, like flood, raining fire. These are big apocalyptic events here. 
Yet I am sure, I am sure that the people listening were like, okay, that was our history. We read that. We studied that as kids. We got that. That happened. But then they kind of feel like, but now we're good, right? Now we're hanging on. But Jesus was trying to say, things can happen. And you don't know if you have tomorrow with illness or with an accident or with a military invasion. Jesus was trying to say, where none of us are safe. We might have felt like, well, that was punishment against evil doing, and now we're good. But Jesus keeps trying to show people that it's always a good time to check in, to check where they were. Were they living the way God had told them to live? The religious leaders, had they been serving in the way they were supposed to serve with their spiritual authority? Jesus keeps calling them out. And here, he just reminds them that that we're not promised tomorrow, but also that it can't just be about them. Them over there. He's like, you know, in our history, there was them and there was us and there was God's people and there were the enemies of God's people. And that's what they had fortified themselves to be right now. They're, they're loving their culture and they don't want to spread the good news of God and share his light and share his peace. They were holding in and starting to like barricade themselves in their identity. And Jesus is trying to show it's not a them and an us. We're all in this together. We all are under God's care, made in his image. And we can all face calamity or hope at any time. So finally, he looks at his disciples and he's like, you're going to hear some things. In verse 22 through 25, it says, people are going to say, look over there, look here. God's doing this. This must be God. This must, you know, just kind of the same way of people today. A lot of people label things God. And Jesus is trying to say, you're going to know. It's going to be like lightning across the sky. Like it will be obvious to you. And he speaks of the son of man. And Jesus calls himself throughout the book of Luke, the son of man. And he's like, he's going to suffer and be rejected. And he wasn't just saying like rejected by them and us again, right? He's saying he's going to be rejected by like the people here in our city. People did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. His own people that he was trying to come and communicate to. Jerusalem meant city of peace. People weren't living in a way that promoted peace. And Jesus knew that, that there was a time when it was going to come. God wasn't going to step in and protect that city of peace. Because people had chosen, people were choosing selfish, evil things. All of this time, Jesus' words, he's trying to say, here, we're we're talking about this now because I want you to connect. I want you to connect with the true message of God, with that humble servanthood that he, he just preached about in the earlier verses of Luke 17. Living with that gratitude, serving others in gratitude and humility. He'd already been talking about this, and he's like, this all goes together. Because how we live now matters for tomorrow and the world that we're creating. 
That's why I want to end on verses 20 and 21. Because what he says at the beginning wraps up this, there's a hope in the midst of the trauma to come. The Pharisees asked Jesus when the kingdom of God was coming. They always asked him questions to try to be like, pick his brain or trick him or see what he'd say or see if he really matched up with the the Bible they knew. God's kingdom, replied Jesus, isn't the sort of thing you can watch for and see coming. People won't say, look, here it is, or look over there. No, God's kingdom is within your grasp. The Pharisees, they had such a close belief to Jesus's actions, and they were just like this close, and yet Yet they saw him as this big enemy, a threat to their power and authority. And instead of seeing everything they had in common and the ways that Jesus was trying to take another step forward in living out God's kingdom, they just kept shutting him off. Jesus' words, God's kingdom is within your grasp. There's two things in that phrase. Number one, it's present tense wasn't coming. It wasn't to come. Jesus says, it's here. He was standing right in front of their face. Jesus was representing God's redemption and God's reign and his power all within one body. Of course, it didn't look like what they were expecting. Jesus wasn't sitting on a throne. He wasn't physically rescuing people in this moment. And so it just didn't look like the way the religious leaders expected But Jesus was trying to say, you're waiting for something that's already here. And that message, that's one of the reasons I was thinking about Juneteenth. was like to have something within your grasp, to have that freedom and not know it. To have that message have to be told to like, look, it's here. So Jesus is like, it's here. You don't have to wait for it anymore. Right here. But number two is it involves action. It's an action statement. It's present tense. It's an action statement. It's within your grasp to grasp something. You have to reach out and take a hold of it. It takes takes a choice, a decision on a person to grasp something. So Jesus was living before their very eyes. And he was saying, I want you to grasp this type of leadership to the religious leaders. If you're going to represent God, then you've got to invite everyone to the table. Instead of shutting yourself off you got to bend down and get near the vulnerable instead of treating them like they're in your way. You have to balance justice and mercy. Jesus is like, this is how we live for God's kingdom. And you have a choice, and you can take hold of that. But you have to take action. You can be part of the renewal before the calamity comes, right? Because this was his opening before all of the bad. Like before the trauma happens, build up hope, build up goodness, renew yourselves and renew the community now. Bring God's renewal now while we're healthy, while we're feeling good, before the pain. Each year, there are Jewish festivals and feasts and celebrations and holidays and remembrances. There is feasting and fasting. And one of the fasting remembrances is called Tishbaav. It's a time of deep communal mourning. 
And it remembers the destruction of the temple, of the two temples we talked about. I have a picture here, and that's the, this is the base where the temple once stood, and that's all that's left. It's the base. No temple there anymore in Jerusalem. But on this day, and it falls on August 6th and 7th this summer, but on this day, you'd remember the first temple, beautiful temple that Solomon built and it's described in detail in the Old Testament. And to remember that it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And to remember that this temple that Jesus went to and worshipped at with his disciples, that it was destroyed by the Romans. And this is, this is a remembrance that still goes on today by the Jewish people to remember and so you have fasting, and you don't do anything that makes you happy. <laughs> like, that's part of the celebration. It's like, the men don't shave. The, um, let's see, you don't plan any events. You don't have weddings or celebrations during this. They said a couple of weeks before the actual day, too. You don't wear leather or perfume. I guess that's like a blessing to wear leather. I don't know. I don't know these things. You don't bathe. So just all of the things that you fast from. And then you read the book of Lamentations. There's sorrow. There's pain. Reading this week in the details of this, what I didn't know was that as they end the day, they end the holiday, and they've spent all this time mourning, they end with a verse of hope. They go to Lamentations 5.21, and they pray this prayer to God. Restore us to yourself, Lord, that we may return. Renew our days as of old. They don't end the morning without an invitation to renewal. I just keep thinking about it in these community celebrations. And we could probably see it across cultures that we remember painful history. But there's a hope there, an invitation to be part of a better future, a renewal. And so... We've gone through a lot of history here today. Talked about biblical history, U.S. history, and just a lot that we can deal with. So I don't know. You take in different things at different times. And I just think this week, if we look through here, we look through our history, what does it say to us? I think we're invited to mourn and we're invited toward renewal. I look at the way we can mourn. We can mourn when our communities, when our ancestors have been harmed. And we can remember. And we can be honest about the pain that it causes us to look through. And to know that wherever our heritage is from, that there's pain there. We can also mourn alongside others. That it doesn't matter if we are related by blood to these same people groups who have experienced pain. But we can... We can mourn with them because they matter, because their history matters. And we can look around and see the pain for people who are today. There's, there's vulnerable people groups. There's people still treated with malice because of how they look or how they sound. We can stand alongside people and mourn and protect. And then we mourn. We can mourn our own sins, our own participation. We can consider... What have we done in our past? What words have we used? There's all ways that we might have spoken or acted in ways that have harmed. We can 
We can take an honest look at ourselves and mourn what we've done before we knew, mourn who we used to be, and know that we're offered redemption through Jesus, that we can step toward renewal instead. We can put aside our past. So that second piece is an invitation to renewal. We can celebrate all people created in God's image. No matter how we look, our different interests, we all reflect the uniqueness of the creator in some way. So we have celebrations throughout our year, through different cultures. There's different months, and we celebrate people groups, and we, we celebrate and dance and sing and love. And we also are invited to share the renewal of Jesus in these times, that we get to make the world better, that we get to live out that humble servanthood we've talked about. We get to live in gratitude. We get to balance mercy and justice and speak God's truth and invite everyone to the table. All the things that we've been studying throughout the book of Luke. Jesus says we can live it out because the kingdom of God is within our grasp. It's present and it requires action. And I just want to say, whether you're here with us, whether you're watching online, if you're mourning personal tragedy, communal tragedy, you're not alone. We don't want you to mourn alone. We can mourn together. Reach out and just know. Let us know your honest mourning and we will mourn and grieve with you. Also, if you feel like Jesus is tugging on your heart and there's some action that you haven't taken, but you don't really know what that is, what does it mean to follow Jesus or to live in renewal with him, come talk to me. Let's talk and let's, let's know that Jesus is ready to journey with you. Thank you for being here today, for mourning and for celebrating, for working toward renewal as a body. I feel like we do that at Echo and let's keep doing that. Let's pray, let's spend time, and we're going to reflect a little. We're going to have a time of communion that we do every week where we remember that Jesus died and we mourn that. And he also rose again and gives us the hope for renewed life. So let's pray, and then we'll spend a little time reflecting and ending our service in communion. God, thank you so much for hard words, for the reminder that our tomorrows are not promised, and help us to live in a spirit of of mourning and a spirit of renewal, and determine who we want to be today no matter what comes tomorrow. Thank you, Jesus, for demonstrating that and for also promising to be with us so we're not doing life alone. Thank you for giving us one another and communities that can live and mourn and renew this world together. We bring all these things before you in gratitude and in love. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, 
echochurch.org. Have a great week.